Christmas is coming, and already we know it will be different this year. That's the way it's been with this pandemic. This Christmas, some things we always do might have to wait till next year. On the Sundays of Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas, the pastors of Second Presbyterian Church are going to preach a sermon series called What Cannot Wait. Our sermons will be on those gifts of grace that are celebrated with Jesus' birth, which we cannot do without. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have two scripture readings this morning. Both are from the New Testament. I'll begin with this passage from John where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll read the passage from Matthew in a minute. You know, Joseph has always played second fiddle to Mary. Though both are featured or have featured roles at the beginning of different Gospels, Mary in Luke, Joseph in Matthew, it is Mary who is remembered, adored, and celebrated in history, right? That's how it should be, I think. I mean, first, it's refreshing to have a Bible story where the man stands in the shadow of the woman. Second, she is the first true Christian theologian in that she is the first to ponder the meaning of having Jesus in her life. And third, she shows trust and courage in believing and embracing the news that the one that she will carry in her room is the one who is going to be God's instrument to bring peace to this world and relief for the poor. I mean, that's why she's been so beloved by the poor over the centuries and why they so often call on her name in prayer. There is one more reason why Mary is more celebrated, though it's not as important as the ones that I mentioned. Luke's story of Jesus' birth appeals to our sentimental side. There is a bit of hallmark charm in its telling. I mean, Luke tells of cousins sharing the excitement of each other's pregnancies, of shepherds keeping watch over their sheep, of angels announcing glad tidings of the discovery of a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and of Mary taking it all in and being amazed by it all. Matthew's story about Joseph lacks that charm. 
When Joseph learns that Mary is pregnant, he does not hear it as glad tidings. He certainly does not want to rush off and tell his neighbors about it. In fact, his first thought is divorce. The story is more about the challenge, not the promise of accepting Jesus in one's life. But though charm may be missing, Joseph can teach us something about being a good person and becoming a better person than that. So let's for a moment let Joseph come out from under Mary's shadow and let's listen to the one passage that focuses on him and let's listen for the word of God. I'll read F.D.L. Bruner's translation. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was like this. When his mother Mary had been legally engaged to Joseph before they came together, it was discovered that she was expecting a baby by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a righteous man, but he did not want to shame Mary. So he decided to divorce her quietly. When he had given serious thought to all these things, lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And this is what the angel said. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been brought to life in her has happened by the Holy Spirit. She will have a baby boy and you will give him the name Yahsus, Yahweh saves, because he himself will save people from their sins. Now all this happened so that the words spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled, which says, look, the virgin will be expecting a baby and she will give birth to a son and people will give him the name Emmanuel, which when translated means God is with us. And when Joseph got up from his sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord had instructed him to do and he took Mary as his wife. And Joseph did not have personal intimacy with Mary until she had had her baby boy. And Joseph gave the boy the name, Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll be blunt. Joseph almost leaves Mary. And Mary really needs for him to stay. Luke told us of Mary's excitement in learning that she will have a child, but it doesn't take much reading between Matthew's lines to know that there comes a time when that excitement wanes and the true challenges of bearing and raising this child weigh in. And Mary can't do this alone. Mary needs Joseph to understand and to be there. Yes, he is shocked to learn that she is expecting, but she can't wait too long for him to get his head around it, to get over it, or to have some time to accept it. As Reverend Link said last week in her sermon, Mary's only about 14 years old, and the world is what it is, and it's not a world for a young teen to raise a child on her own. But again, that's seeing things from Mary's perspective. This story is about Joseph, and a lot is being asked of Joseph. Because the world is what it is. And in this world, in this first century Middle Eastern world, there is this strong honor code and a shame culture that goes with it. 
Now, the shame culture is more about the region. It's more about the Middle East at that time than it is about being Jewish. But the Jews do now live in the Middle East and they are constantly being judged by their Middle Eastern neighbors and they find it hard to live as if it doesn't matter what their non-Jewish neighbors think of them. And when you start thinking like that, you don't go very far until you start thinking that it matters most what your Jewish neighbors think about you. And according to this honor code of the region, Joseph, he has valid reasons to leave Mary. He even has valid reasons in the culture's eyes to let the whole world know why he's leaving Mary, to defend his honor by shaming hers. Why should his reputation take a hit because of her? You see, a shame culture is about appearances. And your reputation matters more than anything. And once you are shamed for something you have done or something you have said or something someone said that you said or said that you have done, your reputation remains stained as long as your neighbors have memory. Because appearances matter so much and because you want to avoid being seen as a disgrace, The one thing that you do not want to do is to admit a wrong. You see, shame is a powerful way to make people behave because people do not want to be dismissed by being disgraced. I think we've seen a strong resurgence of shame culture in our country, haven't we? It comes from both the right and from left extremes when people call each other out publicly so their reputations will never be the same, so that their power might be discreet, so their influence might wane. You shame them in order to cancel them. Social media can be the hotbed of shame, and there is good evidence that this is one big reason why teenage suicides have risen And why adults find it hard to see the humanity of people with whom they so strongly disagree. But Joseph not only lives in the Middle East. Joseph is also Jewish. And he has been informed by his Jewish faith and his Jewish scriptures. And that means that he also lives in a guilt culture. Well. That doesn't sound good. I mean, who wants to live with guilt? But that actually is the point. Because you don't have to live with guilt the way that you are supposed to live with shame forever. A a guilt culture actually is full of hope and promise because it holds open the possibility of being forgiven. It holds open the possibility of reconciliation and redemption. A guilt culture is about what's on inside, not how you are seen outside. It's about having a moral compass. And when one has done something wrong, the way forward is not to hide it, but to admit it, to face it, to confess it, to make hands and to heal from it and grow from it, at least before God, if not always before your neighbor. Well, in our passage, Joseph tries to be accountable to both cultures. He wants to avoid shame, but he will not shame Mary. 
He's going to leave Mary, but he will do so quietly so as not to expose her to public disgrace. Because if she has done something wrong, he's going to leave that between her and God and not actively and publicly debase her in the eyes of neighbors for the satisfaction of revenge or to protect his reputation. He doesn't want to cancel her, but he is going to end the engagement. Matthew wants you to know that at this point, Joseph is a good man. But this is as far as Joseph's willed goodness can go. The world being what it is, this is as far as our willed goodness can go. We've all been told to to be nice, even if we don't feel like it, to make the right decision, to to be what we need to be in the world, whether we feel like it or not, play a game to win and not to lose. But whether you win or lose, be nice about it. Someone says something that you think is asinine, be nice. If you're successful in life, be nice to those who serve your meals or paint your home. If you're a salesperson, drive the hard bargain. If you're a police officer, write the ticket or even make the arrest. If you're talking to the neighbor about their dog barking at night, if you're having a debate with someone, a disagreement, be nice. After all, there are ways to disagree without being disagreeable, we're told. Maybe the whole approach can be summed up in a very stark way. Do what you have to do for yourself but don't be a jerk about it. Now, I'm not putting that command to be nice down. In fact, I'm a huge fan of being nice. There should be more of people willfully being polite no matter what they feel about it, being civil, being kind. Yes, it takes effort, but you can act as a decent person even when you're trying to get ahead. And you may not always feel like minding your manners, but usually it's worth the effort and it helps us get along. You may not always find it satisfying to to refrain from saying that hurtful thing toward another when you think that they deserve it, but communities simply do not survive when tit for tat gets mistaken for morality. As Mahatma Gandhi says, an eye for an eye will only make the world blind. And Joseph is willfully good. He is determined to be a decent guy. He's going to do what he feels he has to do to protect his honor, but also protect hers. But he is going to leave. But God wants more of Joseph than good behavior. In fact, God wants more goodness from Joseph than Joseph can willfully provide on his own. And so what happens next can only be described as a conversion, a conversion inside Joseph, giving him something he did not have before, a conversion of his soul, of his heart, of his head. A voice comes that's not his own. A voice comes from outside Joseph and it's heard. A goodness is given to Joseph that Joseph did not have to give. The voice tells Joseph to ignore honor to despise the shame, but to be on the right hand of God. If Joseph does what this angel instructs him to do, he might end up looking weak in front of his neighbors, but so what? 
Because what is happening, the angel tells him, is of God and it's for God's purposes. And Joseph needs to deny himself for the sake of what God is doing in the world by bringing this child to birth. Joseph is not only to remain with Mary and raise this child. He's also to give this child a name that lets everyone know that this child is of God's own doing. Name this child Jesus, which means God saves. And when this child is grown, Joseph, many people will give him another name, Emmanuel, because they will have experienced in Jesus, God with them. That's asking a lot. Joseph needs God's strength because this kind of selfless love being asked of him takes real courage. It takes courage to risk one's own reputation because human dignity is more important. It takes courage to give up expecting life to be fair for yourself and then to realize that life can be even more unfair for others and therefore sometimes setting aside your rights so as to defend the rights of others. It takes courage to be a true follower of Jesus, which means being willing to disappoint others for the sake of something that's more important than their approval. It takes courage to love in a way that's for the other person's sake, leaving you vulnerable to others' needs and pains and struggles. But Reinhold Niebuhr offers this about why selfless love is still a gift when you're given it. Since God is love, loving selflessly is how we know God. After this passage, Joseph almost disappears from Matthew's narrative. But we've done well to spend some time with Joseph before he goes. We'll admit again that this story does not have much hallmark charm. There's little here to bring a tear to one's eye or to elicit an audible awe. Unless, that is, you are struggling with shame that you have somehow moved to thinking that your very identity is something that is wrong and should be erased? Or unless you have had a hard time seeing the difference between how others see you and how God sees you, and sometimes you think that others' approval and disapproval is God's. Or unless you think that any time you see a moment of true selfless love, it is a beautiful miracle that gives a glimpse of God. And that might actually be something that brings a tear to your eye. But whether or not a tear is inspired, let's do celebrate today, Joseph. Joseph's God-inspired, spirit-enabled act of selfless love, his doing what his son later calls for to be done when he says, give your life to gain it, and his displaying what his son later will describe as the greatest love when he says, no greater love does one have but to lay down one's life for another. Let's celebrate this beautiful moment of utter selflessness 
for the sake of Mary and the child. And most importantly, for the world. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.